Welcome to this week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Today, Jackson and I are the guests. Our hosts, Matt Tarantino and Rich Barraza, take the mic and lead the discussion. We thought it'd be a great idea to bring two guys that everybody already knows, and they just so happen to be our best friends to interview us. Learning about my upbringing in a volleyball family and Jackson's rude awakening that it was actually cool to play volleyball in the Valley. We talk about everything from different coaching styles, parents in the club volleyball community now, trying to form super teams, our takes on personalities and what we want from our athletes and our teammates, and of course, what we've learned from Marv. Take a listen. Tino Spumoni. Spumoni? Yeah. Sub tea steak. Ladies. I'm What's, up, dog? What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? Good, man. How are you? Oh, you know, just living the dream at home. You guys are close to popping, huh? 41 days. What's up, guys? So it's nighttime over there? No, it's daytime here. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Hold on. It's only six hours north, Richard. Uh, Jackson, I'm sorry about the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just saying that, or I just said that the Cowboys should have an open tryout for quarterback like in the movie Invincible. <laughs> dude, just get Shane Falco from the replacements. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm in. Pull him out. Dude, dude, yeah, what are you talking about? Keanu on the, off that boat coming in? Not a bad plan. Nothing could be worse. And then a late season pickup of Clifford Franklin. (laughs) Oh, this podcast is a genius idea. (laughs) Well, guys, welcome back to the podcast. So happy to have you here. Guest number one, guest number two. Great, great. Thanks for having us back. Yeah, no problem. It's really more of like a due diligence than anything but we're so happy to have you here rich like where are they now (laughs) (laughs) question for you a real question is it how do you feel like being in the dark and having parents know more about the formation of your teams than you do uh so i think the reality of that question is just that like parents are so active with parents and trying to like figure out, Hey, we're going to form this mega team. And like, there's instances where it makes sense, right? Like, you know, when you were an 18s and all of you guys were like a core unit that were going to stick together, you guys all knew, Hey, we wanted to do this. That was coming from the guys, not from the parents. Yeah, that was definitely different because we didn't all play together before, but we knew each other from playing against each other. So, like, our parents didn't have that connection. That was more of us saying, like, this is where I'm playing. Like, come and join or we're going to beat you. 
typically what I'm seeing now is a lot of parents are like super involved in thinking that their kid is that elite top level and trying to form quote unquote other elite like groups to form these teams. And I mean, they're not, but the problem is that like club volleyball, you're looking at pay to play, right? So a lot of directors, a lot of coaches are like, oh yeah, great. Let's do this. So kind of the makeup of the scene. Are these kids actually elite or are their parents just believing that they're elite? Yeah, no. I mean, they, I don't think you, they really have a real like concept of what elite is. So sure. if you're looking at the, the, vol- the area volleyball, like, and those players, so it's like, oh, she's, she was on first team all league. It's like, oh, cool. And she's like, yeah, she's one of the best in the area. All right. That doesn't mean anything. Like what, what, what are her offers? What is she doing? What is he doing? Stuff like that. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, volleyball has started to grow, but parents' perception of the sport is still very limited. Tina was a star at Alamany. I mean, he played JV football. And now look at him. This kid's killing it. My mom didn't even know that I was good at volleyball. <laughs> I was going to say, if you look at Tino, he was a star volleyball player. He played football, and he's now in the soccer world. So I think at the end of the day, that's like the true athletic story of a European. You think he's a triple threat. I yeah. just keep getting worse and worse at each thing I do. <laughs> football, volleyball, soccer. Tino was like a top five recruit. And Marv was like, you know what? We're not even going to keep you at the position that we recruited you at. We're going to throw you in the middle. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. You don't even get me started. <laughs> Best part is his senior year, he was training to be an outside in college. That didn't happen. Yeah, my 18th my year, I played two different positions. Yeah, <laughs> uh, outside and out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I started out as outside, and then we started not playing as well because – our, we didn't like have a true right side, so everyone just wasn't on the left side because it was, it was just, killing. Yeah, well, Sato passed half the court. I just stood on the ten foot line and took things with my hands, <laughs> so it worked. And then Kinji was, you know, he's a good passer, so it worked for a little bit. But then our right side was just getting torched. We had no blocking. So then I went back there and then <laughs> went to college and moved back to the middle. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. You, you, you missed the hernia, but. Yeah, we're not going to go there. All right. How do we want to do this? Do we want to like simulate your guys' typical intro? So it's like a random thing of like, oh, what the heck? Who are these two guys now? Dude, you guys go with it, man. We're full autonomy. Jackson, I don't know how you feel, but I don't want to do shit besides answer questions. You guys didn't have a meeting yet, Richard? <laughs> oh, we did. We texted like 10 oh. minutes before you sent the Zoom invite. <laughs> but we want to know what you guys want also. Yeah. Yeah, we. I don't care. Do you, Matt? I was going to say, I think it's like in your guys' like, so I think we're good here, contract that a Pepperdine alum names Matt, named Matt has to be a co-host. So, I mean, after this, if you get Pollock, you're pretty good in terms of hitting the quota. Um, all right, so you guys don't care about anything then. I mean, well, I mean Jackson's got a job to lose. So I was going to say, 
you, Bat West. You're welcome. <laughs> the Turkish crowd isn't going to listen to this. Ah, uh, dude, Turkey's lit, but not that lit. All right. So I guess we'll kind of get started then. You already did the whole welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having us, guys. To different seat that we're in. Dino. But here's the deal. We're doing the interview now, not you guys. Okay. <laughs> Straight out so of the So first brother. question, how much do you make a year before taxes? <laughs> <laughs> At least two hundred. I don't hear any answers, boys. <laughs> Legally or illegally? <laughs> Dude, Jackson, you're in Reno. Who knows what kind of like racket you guys got going over there? True. He makes a good point. Reno's way worse than Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I've never been, but I read a book before. I respectfully disagree. <laughs> it's fine, dude. Makes sense. You know, you wanna you wanna start off? Yeah, we'll start off. So um I guess the way we'll do it is we'll kind of Alternate a little bit. Matt will go into your story a little bit first, and then Rich and Jackson will uh, hop into theirs a little bit. Um, but let's start out with how you got involved with volleyball. I know you were kind of born into it and didn't have much of a choice, but um, sure. I think it's, it would be cool to hear about your mom's story a little bit before we get into yours directly. Absolutely. So my mom is an anomaly. She's quite possibly the most interesting woman in the world when it comes to her volleyball story because she didn't, well, I don't want to say she didn't start. She started playing volleyball at 13 after doing track and field and gymnastics. And then at the ripe age of 15, she was on the national team for Peru. And um pretty unique like people always say like we talked to Micah Christensen about this on the podcast and he was like I can't say that I was never I can't say that I wasn't ready for my time when it came he was always really prepared so I think she had four people go down in front of her like with just like you know like an ACL or like a twisted knee or some ankle problem and then she became the national team setter at like 15 because people just went down like flies and she capitalized and her coach Lombok Park, who's like a legend was like, I love her. I never want her to leave the court. And you know, she, they got second at world championships for both like U21 and then senior team, like that same generation. So it was like a very young generation. And then she was an Olympian by 19. So in six years, she was a silver medalist at a world championship where they lost to China with Lan Ping, who's now the head coach of China. And she was a head coach for the, our women's team in 2012, I think. It, she's quite possibly the greatest women's player that's ever played. So they lost to them like 3-0. My mom was like, the ball would hit the ground and it felt like somebody was already serving again. They were that good. Like they were just moving that fast and that efficiently. And uh, yeah, so they got second to that team, one of the greatest teams ever. And then she went to Moscow in 1980 for an Olympics at, yeah, I think she was nine, 18 or 19, yeah. 
So she went from never playing volleyball until 13 to an Olympian at 18 or 19. Yeah, and, like, the only reason she played, and she'll say this, her sister, Rosario, was, like, by far the, the better player. And she was a couple years older, so she would, like, take her to – like you see on YouTube or like on uh, Instagram, like these concrete games, like outside where like they'll make their yeah. own holes and stuff. So she would take her to those and her older sister was like the ringer kind of. So like she would travel like four hours by bus if they needed a ringer and she'd like go play and like kill people and then come home with like her little money. And like, <laughs> you know, she would just drag my mom around. So my mom was around it, but she didn't, like have any real desire she just enjoyed it and then she just got put in the right situation and she had her sister who obviously really supported her and her older brother who was on the national team and a professional soccer player for a long time were like her main driving forces to stay in the volleyball because I think when she first made the national team she said she cried like every day because she, it was just so hard, and the coach was just so tough on her. And so one oh, day she decided to not. Huh? Was that when she was 15, or how old was she at that Yeah, point? I think she was 15 at this time. And um, so one day she decided to not go, and her brother was home, who was the national team soccer player. And he was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't take this. And he was like, you – he's like, he's only pushing you because you're good enough. If he didn't care, then he wouldn't drive you. But he's going to keep going. He's going to keep pushing you. And so he, like, took her to practice. And her coach was like, why are you late? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that was, like, a huge turning point for her. And then she just kept going. And, uh, yeah, she's she's a monster for sure. Good volleyball player. So there's a – good, Rich. I was gonna say before before we like kind of switch gears because this also has to do with like how you grew up. It, it may, might even kind of transition there. Uh, so you're from Seattle, yes, sir. Traditionally, at least when you were growing up, not very big with men's volleyball, boys volleyball, etc. No, for sure not. That's uh, uh, yeah. Jackson. You're from Palmdale. Again, traditionally not very popular for men's volleyball, boys volleyball. I mean, Millar's from there, but. Other than that, you know, there's no real volleyball. What was that like in terms of like, again, Matt, I'm, I, I mean, now, hey, your mom, you know, she was who she was, a great setter, et cetera. Um, but like, what was that like growing up in those types of worlds where volleyball wasn't really a sport that was as common as, say, football or basketball or something like that? Jackie, you got this. And don't forget to mention Paul George. Oh, shout out, Paul George. <laughs> playoff well, I mean the big difference of me and Matt is I I grew up an hour away from Los Angeles so like boys volleyball was in my high school there was there was a club out by me so it wasn't like unheard of it just wasn't very popular um, but yeah I mean everyone knew if you wanted to be a good volleyball player you had to make the drive to clubs like uh Kyle Luongo was two years older than me, and he's from Palmdale as well. And he was making the drive down to – I think he played at SMBC. Um, yeah. He was making that drive when he was in high school. Unfortunately, I was never able to 
get permission from the parents to make that drive uh, when I was in high school. But yeah, it, was, it wasn't a common thing, but there was a little volleyball community out there, me and my friends at my high school, and then just the, uh, the other people in Palmdale that played. What club did you play for? I played for Revolution my junior and senior year. That, that's when I started club. I made, a, I made a Aaron Wong's 18 twos team for SMBC my senior year, but my, my pops wouldn't let me drive. I think that was the year that Aaron won, was it bronze or gold in club, I think? He won a gold medal in club, 33rd place. That's <laughs> <laughs> Aaron Wong. No, he had a, he had a really good team. Tino, I think maybe you were like a 14s or 15s player then, but their twos team was really good because they had such a good ones team too. Yeah, was that the same year as when it was like Matt Storick and Tanner Nua on the 18s team? I think so. It was around that same time frame for sure. A little bit before that. So the 18s team was uh, like John Gurr. Tyler, what was Tyler's last name? Yeah, him. Um, so it was just after like the Joey Zuziak and uh, Gill years when they took, I think, third at JOs. But it was still when it was still when SMBC was like, okay, their ones team is going to medal and their twos team is going to maybe win club. So, so Matt, with you again, because your mom did your mom have the club already or did you did she make it for you no definitely not it's definitely not for me so my mom when she first immigrated uh, at the time so when my mom was 21 she i want to say she was at a world championship and she met this hungarian journalist and she ended up like being head over heels for him so she ended up moving to hungary so she was a hungarian citizen hungarian passport for eight years, she lived in Hungary and played for their national team and everything and played, uh, she played Champions League and Sev Cup, which I didn't know. She did all these things uh, professionally. She's an Italian all-star. She played in Spain. And um, when she immigrated, she met my dad. And my dad is originally from Seattle. We actually grew up like two blocks away from each other where his house was and where mine is now. And uh, the way that club works in every other country aside from America is like, uh, you're paying for people to come play for you. It's like an academy system, right? Yeah, it's an academy system. Exactly. Right. So yeah, Tino would know about this because now he's in soccer. And so that's how most soccer clubs work, especially abroad. So like, if you want like, and it goes for everything in like most other cultures besides like, uh, American is like if you want somebody then you'll pay for them to come do it for you right if you're good at something then you never do it for free so then when my mom my mom or my dad was the one that suggested like hey we should start a club and my mom was like why we're just gonna lose like a crazy amount of money and he's like no that's not how it works here people pay you to coach them <laughs> and she's like oh my god are you serious <laughs> so she was so stoked and her English was like pretty lackluster at that point. It was like 1991, 92 when they first moved to Seattle. 
and uh, she was learning English on like from reading newspapers and watching the news and like Three's Company. <laughs> so yeah, they did not start the club for me. That is for sure. They got involved at North Seattle Community College or City College for Californians. And then they just had the club, like just to try and start making money. And then when I was two or three, they moved to Shoreline Community College and they've been there ever since. And now both Mark and Raquel West are Shoreline Community College Hall of Famers. So when you were growing up, obviously with both your parents coaching, you didn't like have time to sit at home. You were in the gym with them, right? Yeah, like uh, I was either at my grandma's just chilling or I was in the gym and like I told this story uh, on Kayla's podcast, but like I didn't really understand volleyball by any means, but like I had been around it so much. And so my mom told me a couple of years ago that one day I was like so frustrated at this like 15, 16 year old girl. Cause she, they, she'd been working on serving like, for, like an hour. And it'd been like weeks, weeks they've been working on this. And so I was so mad that I just grabbed, I like got off the bench from playing old maid because I love playing old maid in the gym. I got off the bench and I just grabbed the ball and I was like, she told you to do it like this. And I just served it over the net. And then I just walked off and kept playing old maid. And the girl, I guess the girl just started like crying. You know, she was in shambles. But I was like, yeah, it's just, it makes sense to who I am now, I guess. But uh, yeah, that was my first experience with volleyball. Your first coaching experience, almost. <laughs> first coaching experience. <laughs> I've come a long way as a coach, for sure. For sure. Not as a player. Put that on the resume. Yeah, put it on the docket. But yeah, yeah, yeah. but it just—I was just always around it. And like, uh, my mom used to kick me out of the gym because I used to throw balls at girls that were serving. Yeah. Like, I, I wanted to see the balls explode, you know? Like, that's the <laughs> coolest thing ever. So I was, like, 10, 11 years old. I'd, like, time it. Like, just throw a ball and just, boom, it would just explode. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And then, uh, <laughs> and then my mom was so pissed. She's like, they can't see if it's in or out. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I'm just going to keep exploding balls. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's, I could see you doing that today still. 100%, dude. I'm surprised Keegan didn't bring it up on his podcast. I worked with him one summer camp. It's probably going to be my last ever. But uh, I, I asked him, I was like, can I please just be an assistant? I really don't want my own coat or like my own court. And I did this with Scotty Wong too. I was like, can I just, just give me, just let me be your assistant. Let me just feed you and I'll talk to the kids or whatever. Like, all right. So it's day three. You know, day three of camp, everybody's gas. Everybody kind of needs a laugh, just a little pick-me-up, right? And so we were in Alaska Airlines and like the heck out or whatever at UW, and it's big. Like, it's high. And somebody told me, this Ryan Hardy, who's now the assistant coach at Fresno State, they were like, Hardy skyballed the ball through the rafters and it landed inside. So I said, challenge accepted. And we were on a water break. So there's like six courts. Everybody's going full speed on all other five courts besides us. And I was like, I have enough confidence in myself that I think I could get this first try. 
So I jacked this ball, man. <laughs> it almost hits the top, clear through the rafters, goes all the way onto the other side of Alaska Airlines. And I was so lucky that these girls were like standing in a circle and it landed straight in the middle of them. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. And Keegan goes, Matt, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, skyballing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then he made an example out of me after lunch break. And he's like, hey, how about we don't skyball any balls today anymore, you know, guys? And I was like, yeah. Sometimes Probably you got to take a risk. <laughs> uh, break the ice. So both of your parents, obviously, I, I know pretty well. And they're not the type to, like, force you to do anything or pressure you into anything. But, like, once you buy into it, they're going to hold you to that standard. So when did you decide for yourself, like, volleyball is the thing I'm going to be good at. Yeah. So my mom used to kick me out of the gym when I was like 12. Cause I'd like come in with my little crew skinny jeans that like Jim Greco used to make back in the day from zoomies. And uh, I would just jump into hitting lines dude, with like skinny jeans on. <laughs> and that's the only thing I did. I would like wait for everybody to do hitting lines and I would just literally sit there and just jump into hitting lines and then leave and then go into the next person's hitting lines. And my mom was like, if you can't wear the right shoes and the right apparel, then you can't practice. And I was like, fine, then like, fuck you. Then I won't practice. That lasted a week. And then I was like, okay, can you guys buy me like a pair of volleyball shoes? I want to practice. So then at 12, I quit baseball. I really didn't like baseball culture. So I quit baseball and then uh, I quit soccer at like 16 because I got, I rolled my ankle pretty bad. And my mom was like, you're one of the top recruits in the country and you're still playing rec soccer. Like get it together. And I was like, okay. She's like, you've already been to a world championship and you still want to play rec soccer. <laughs> and I was like, when you put it like that, so it wasn't really, it wasn't really forcing you so much as like a gentle show. No, my mom was big on directing. <laughs> she was big on, uh, yeah, she was like, this is like the right move. But she knew, her, unlike my father, my father challenges me in a very unique way. He challenges me like I am his adversary. <laughs> right so it's like a competition so he's like you can't you can't and i'm like watch me motherfucker <laughs> whereas my mom is like it's a challenge and she's like i just she's like i just don't see how you don't understand that you have something here whereas my dad is like you think you have something show me and i'm like all right bro like let's go game on you know that's how he always motivated. They just motivated me like very different ways. My dad would like hit the right spot to get me pissed. And my mom would like try to just get the best out of me by giving me perspective. Yeah, your mom is very like logical. Like think about it. If yeah. you do this 100%. and it hurts your volleyball career, which you're already pretty invested in, like what's the point? 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I always say I think like my mom and I act like my dad. Yeah, that's pretty fair. <laughs> so kind of bringing it full circle back to Rich's question, 
obviously there's not many boys clubs in Seattle. Nope. So your parents had the club, but it was mostly just girls, right? Or did they have boys teams before you started playing full-time? Uh, no, the only reason we have a boys team is because of this guy, Stuart Wilson, and he played CYL, which is like 6th, 7th, 8th grade private school stuff. And then he was a freshman, and his mom asked my dad if he would start a team. And he was like, sure, yeah, why not? We could do boys volleyball. And then they really needed a setter. And at the time I was 11. So at the time I was like, I can't really get my hands on the ball. So I'll just be able to barrel. So we went to Chicago AAUs and there were four teams and we got fourth. We did not win a set. No, we won one set against Larry Rather's team. I remember this so vividly. And uh, then the next year we played U16 and I was a setter. We went up to Canada because Canada is the closest to us. We didn't go, we didn't even know what nationals was. That was like so far fetched for Seattle. And so we went up to Canada and got fifth in U16s. And then uh, U14 is the closest I ever played to my age group when I was 12. Other than that, I played in one 16s tournament, everything else was U18. Because that was not happening. We went down to Anaheim when I was 12, and we played Chase Budinger's team. Like, <laughs> was Chase, I didn't know who they were, obviously. I had no idea. But they were the number one seed we were playing U18. Now I know. With Chase, Garrett, uh, whoever else was on that team. And I was playing middle and setting. Dude, Chase gave me the business, bro. <laughs> it was a disaster. I blocked him once because he tried to bounce a ball, and I was just like, <laughs> and I got it. And I was like, okay, cool. But, yeah, I think they tried to make teams. Like, I remember there was a, a point where there were six boys teams, which is a lot of boys teams in the Pacific North. In the whole Pacific Northwest, there were six boys teams. Dude, and, like, I think I got too good, honestly, because they stopped when I was, like, I was 13, when I was 15, there were no more boys playing besides eight of us. That was it. They just, like, everybody was just like, yeah, let's, let's just go play with Matt, you know? It's all good. So, Matt, a little, a little coach's secret for you. If there's only four teams in a tournament and you finish fourth, you tell people that you finished top four in the tournament. <laughs> right, dude. I mean, that's why I tell yeah, people, right. we're honest on this. Right. No, that's, hey, that's not that's not bending the truth. That's that's yeah, we finished top four. Or if it's a regular, you know, ASC, shout out to the ASC. Really? Uh, if it's a tournament where you're you're you know four four teams in the pool, you take fourth. Hey, we held seed. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's all about holding seed. Yeah, people people will stop the conversation. Okay, got it. We got it. Sick. Um, so wait to that though. So Jackson. So Matt essentially has played club since he was 11 and he's basically been setter. You've set out of the middle. He just said, uh, or you, you started in high school. You played some club. What, how many years of club did you play? I know you said that you didn't really ever make the drive out of Palmdale, but what was that like? Yeah, I played my junior year and senior year of club and my junior year, we actually had a really good team. And it was my first year playing club. And seriously, the only thing the team needed was a good setter. 
and I just wasn't good enough yet. So like I would set a little bit, I would play some outside and stuff, but we had some really good athletes that, I mean, none of them really went division one volleyball or anything, but they could have uh, maybe if they started volleyball a little sooner. Um, but yeah, I just, I just played two years of club and then went to uh, Pierce for uh, junior college volleyball. And you're good friends with a former teammate of myself, a teammate of yours, Ryan Duncan. And Ryan played for Synergy, which is a Santa Clarita club that, you know, went the way of dinosaurs. But why didn't you ever try to go with him there? Like, how, how did that work out? Well, Ryan was in a really unique class because Matt was just talking about Chase Buttinger's team. They lost to Chase's team in the finals of J.O. So... I it heard was, that's uh, one of the greatest finals ever played. It was legit. And my buddy Ryan, who is a big reason why I got into volleyball, you know, it, to me, once I saw some of the, like, cooler guys at school and some of the varsity basketball players playing volleyball, it was like, okay, I could, I could do this. It's not a nerdy sport or anything. But, yeah, I think the reason I didn't do it was my parents – both worked a ton and it wasn't so much about the money. It was just about me getting there. Or like I said, I couldn't drive myself to the Valley or Santa Clarita or anything like that. But um, yeah, I just, it just wasn't in the cards at the time for my family. And I wasn't very, I wasn't that good. That first. <laughs> what was I say? You weren't that good yet. Yet, yet. Shout out though to Jackson because he's gonna keep downplaying himself the whole time, and he won't say this. He led the country in assists by like two assists at one point in time in his career, <laughs> which is remarkable. He had like fourteen, and everybody else had twelve. Pretty impressive. Numbers yeah. are a little off, but I did. Yeah, I did. Numbers are not that far off. I've done so this. This question is kind of for both of you because obviously both of you went on to have successful careers and become good players, but you did that without having like a ton of competition as you were growing up. So for each of you, what was the thing that like helped you improve without playing against, you know, the top competition week in and week out? Jackie, you got it, dude. I think for me with even when I played basketball, but especially volleyball, I, I always had someone that I looked, looked up to and was kind of chasing like the first setter I wanted to be like or better than was Kyle Longo. He was two years older than me. He went to kind of like a, not a rival high school, but another local high school. And he went to Pierce and I was like, man, Kyle's really good and he went to Pierce. Maybe it could work out for me. And then when I got to Pierce, it was like, okay, my coach is Bo Daniels, who is a phenomenal setter in his playing career. Um, and then I just looked at other people around the league and I was like, I, I can do that. Like, there's no reason why I can't. And then when I went to Mount Olive, I was looking at setters across the country and a lot 
for sure some of them were better than me. Like when we played Penn State, I looked at Eduardo Goas, the Puerto Rican setter. And I was like, okay, I, I can't be that guy. That guy's legit. But I could beat his team. You yeah. know, it's just like, I guess, very segmented in – it's just one match. Like I could beat someone in one match. That doesn't mean I'm better than them, but I could beat their team. Um, so that's kind of how I always looked at being an athlete. Like, I'm not going to be the best. I'm not the most athletic. I'm not the tallest, but I could figure out, I could figure out how my pieces beat your pieces. And whether I do it or not, that's when you get a win or a loss. But I, I pretty much believe that from, I mean, maybe like freshman year basketball, Yeah, I think that mental side of it and the conf- not only the confidence, but just like the way you think about a game really changes how you could perform. Because if you went into it thinking, oh, we're Mount Oliver playing Penn State, like there's no way we are ever even going to score a point on these guys, like that's obviously going to bring down your performance. But when you think about it logically, like, okay, this is what I need to do on this play to score and you just make it simple, it's it's really easy to compete against people that you don't see every day. Yeah, and I was, I was always pretty realistic with myself, you know. Um, like, okay, I'm, I'm not the highest jumper, so I have to figure out, like, doing some tricks at the net to block somebody, which I got pretty good at, like, baiting people into doing certain things. And it's the same thing, like, with my teammates. Like, the example of Penn State – I had a guy on my team named Angel Dache, who is a gnarly player from Cuba, and then went to he went to high school in Florida. But it's like, okay, they're Penn State, but they don't have Angel. I have Angel, so I'm gonna feed this guy the rock in a lot of different ways. But yeah, dude, that mental like positive self talk is people think that you do it like once a day or something and like it just resonates with you for the next 24 hours like you got to do that shit all the time all the time like it is you're conditioning yourself to believe to believe (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean but like that yeah the older i get the more I think we've talked about this with Marv. Like we always thought like Marv was going to give us this magic. There's no magic. It's just going out and doing it every single day. So like you walking into Penn state and believing in yourself, you probably did that every single day with angel in practice. You're like, this is my guy. And like, you probably tried a lot of different shit too. And, but like, you know, cause you're not physical. So you got to do all this different stuff. That doesn't just happen overnight you know what I mean like you have to I don't know dude for me it doesn't happen overnight maybe one game I get lucky everybody gets lucky for one match but for me for sure especially when I have those dog days I'm like I'm talking myself off the bridge for like two and a half hours yeah and my my self-talk wasn't like good when I was a young person like like most, you know, like self-talk is tough. Um, I just think I was so freaking stubborn as a competitor that I would be 
the a-hole who would like, no, screw that. I'm going to do this and I'm going to try to beat you. Like, I don't care if you're better than me. I'm going to beat you though. What's, what's funny there is that I think, so you said almost two things that could in theory be kind of conflicting, right? You just said, I don't care if you're better than me. I'm going to beat you. And then you also said that you recognize, I don't want to say shortcomings, but things that were just realities. You weren't the tallest guy. You weren't the fastest guy, the best jumper. Um, And it's always interesting when you do talk about these types of self-talk things and you start to kind of see. I'm sorry. My McDonald's just got here. (laughs) (laughs) Very important to me. Recovery, guys. Recovery. The one professional athlete here is getting McDonald's delivered. I know. Treat your body like a temple over there. Get that Travis Scott meal. (laughs) 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 Oh wait, we'll 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 cut this out. Definitely leave this in. People need to know the key to recovery after a long five set match. People need to get that McDonald's. People need to know what it's like partnering up with Matt. Uh, people no, sure. people do not need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, so kind of going back to it, those two things can be conflicting when they're said in, in particular ways, right? Like sure. you said, I'm a stubborn guy. And I looked at it like, I'm going to beat you and I don't care like what's going to take. I'm going to do whatever while being realistic of, hey, I'm not the tallest, I'm not the smartest, I'm not whatever it is, right? Um, and it's very interesting when you have those realistic conversations. And so this would kind of be my question to you. Uh, I'm not the tallest for sure myself, like it's visually apparent. <laughs> um, but like it, it's in my mind now as a mature coach, it's okay to say that. It's okay to come to the realization that's like, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to be that guy or you know in this situation for you as a younger athlete when you were in high school when you were at Pierce when you were at Mount Olive you know and you have that conversation stepping into Penn State with yourself of like hey I'm not this setter I'm me but I'm not going to let him win what's the difference there in terms of like quote-unquote not giving up but at the same time understanding where you're at and what you need to do to win, get better, change, evolve, grow, et cetera? That's a, that's a big question. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> good luck, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think to an extent it's confidence. And I remember getting a lot of confidence when I was at Pierce and <clears throat> it was my freshman year. And I literally went into the coach's office and was like, okay, do you guys think I could play at the next level? And all three of them were like, yes. And Bo was like, yeah, you're an idiot. Of course you can play at the next level. And that was like really eye-opening to me. I was like, really? Oh, maybe my perception of myself is off. Cause I, like Matt said, I, tend to put myself on the bottom step versus like looking at it realistically. Um, But I don't know about moving forward, like at those later stages. um, 
yeah, I, I don't have a good answer for your question. Maybe, I mean, you might, you know me pretty well. You might have an answer for that. Well, I think, uh, let, me, let me put it this way, because now you're, you're, and I don't want to kind of fast forward where we're at in our timeline or anything, but you're coaching now. You are now dealing with, you know, college, college women who are 18 to 21 years old, growing into their own. Some are going to potentially try to play otherwise, or otherwise, you know, professional careers, things like that. Um, but, you know, they're having those realizations. They're coming into your office now. And they're, they're talking to you saying like, hey, I want to be the best middle on this team or something like that, you know? And how do you have that conversation of like, hey, you know, Marv says it, either you're good enough or you're not. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to get better if we're going to make that change, right? The, the loss isn't life-ending, it's not necessarily what we, we don't want to just shrug it off and be like, okay, we got to get better. We, you know, we need, we know what we need to do, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I think with me as a coach now, when we have those conversations, I just, I try to, I try to help them see where they're at. Like, where are your feet on the floor right now? Whether that's their role, whether that's how good they are, whether they need to be pumped up or brought down, Whatever it is, it's like, let's see yourself for what you actually are as an athlete right now. Let's be realistic. And then we want to grow. Okay, so what are some goals we can grow with? And, yeah, I think growth is tough when there's delusion of who you are or what kind of player you are or your role isn't clear or anything like that. So really – a lot of conversations that I have with our athletes um, is one role clarity, who you are, where you at. And then I'm not sure if this is a, a common theme, but with a lot of the women athletes I've worked with, a lot of them need to be pumped up, you know, they, in whatever, whether it's them as a person or their life or, them as a volleyball player, but those are a lot of the conversations I have. Like, dude, you're awesome. Like, don't one, don't talk to yourself like that. You're your worst critic. This is who you are. And let's keep growing like this. Do you think it's easier to deal with the younger athletes that are more um, prone to kind of be in that mindset of, oh, I'm not that good. Like, I don't know if I could do this kind of similar to, Similar to what you were saying about yourself, how you were pretty realistic with yourself on where you are. Is it easier to deal with those people or the people that are like, I'm so much better than everyone else when in reality they're not? I have a tough time dealing with those people. Um, I don't know if it's a personality thing or a bias thing by me, but even if they are that good and they know they're that good, and they let everybody know about it. I have a tough time with that personality. Um, so I'm, I don't know if I can relate to it more or I'm just more comfortable working with the person that needs some pumping up, but I feel much more comfortable with that kind of person. I think, I do think that is a majority of the athletes that I've worked with and maybe that's athletes as a whole. I don't know, but definitely the people I've worked with. I've heard Marv say, I've heard Mar say it's always easier to tone somebody back than to build them up, which 
he said that about <clears throat> Winder. He, I mean, we were talking about obviously as like when I came in, I was going to be a four-year starter, and he was like, with Winder, he's like, he's like, I never had to tell Winder to turn it up. It was constantly dialing that guy back. Even as a freshman, it was like, Winder, you just can't say stuff like that. You're an 18 year old kid. But you're also talking about a pretty special athlete and setter. He is, he is an outlier. He is not the majority. Yeah, that, that's like it, it relates definitely. But I mean, Winder's a player of the year, All American. So, like, him seeing himself on that level is like, he's not that far off, really. But you have the people okay, that see wait. themselves on that level that aren't even going to see the court. Okay, so let's get real then. Okay. I think, reflecting back, hold on, Jackson, before you start laughing. Reflecting <laughs> back on my time at Pep, okay? This is me personally. I think, had I had that same mentality, I would have done the same thing. It's a powerful mentality. It really is. Yeah, dude. 100%. 100% it's a super powerful mentality. Like, yeah. Wait, when you're, when you're saying Marv says it's easier to, to... It's easier to tame the line than to get, like, the dog out of somebody. Yeah, and I, I think it's because if you're trying to build up someone who doesn't believe it, you're constantly selling them something that they're not going to want to buy, right? Right. Like, like, Jackson, you're a great setter, you're a great this, and you're going into game self-talk-wise like we were talking about, where it's, I'm not as good as that guy, or I'm only here because I'm the only option. You know, it, it's, it's tough to build on anything like that. You're building a house on quicksand, right? It's going to constantly just sink. Versus taming that lion, like, like Tino just said, Winder is a special guy. You don't have to worry about building him up. He's already... He's already pretty sturdy, right? But if you think about it, like, 100% Winder is a special guy. 90% of Winder is that mentality, though. Yeah. Winder, but, but he has okay, the foundation Winder, that he Winder, I'm just – dude, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I think well, okay, so that I'll, I'll goes, go I think it goes a long way. It definitely goes a long way. It definitely goes a long way. But there's a – long way, dude. There's a difference – you were like on two different levels right here. You're talking about a guy whose foundation is as high as it could get. Plus you add that on top of it. It makes him great. Right. Dude, he we're talking about someone road. that's middle of the road foundation wise that thinks they're on that same level of where Winder thought he was. The, the discrepancy is huge there and that's where the difference lies. Yeah. And with Winder, it's not a delusion. Exactly. But I, I also he, like, yeah, for sure. Hey, take it away from like, let's say Winder, right? And look at the preference of the coach. So Jackson just said, essentially, he prefers to deal with the people to pump them up versus deflating the guy who's already super confident or the guy or gal, whatever you want to say, right? While Marv was saying, hey, it's easier to tame that person than it is to build that other person up. And I think it's like, do you want to be, as a coach, do you want to have the tough conversation of Matt, sit down, you, you come in the office, you sit down, West, you're not as good as this, or hey, we gotta, we gotta, you gotta pull it back right now. Your teammates need you for this, and and calm that guy, and be that super blunt person. That that might not be that personality trait that you have, because maybe it's confrontational. Yeah. You're not a big fan, and then the vice versa of like, again, like I kind of said, building someone up 
when you're working with that person who is a middle of the road and they don't believe in themselves, like also a very tough thing. Yeah, Matt, we've talked about it a thousand times. Marv could just rip you apart and you walk out of his office still feeling like a thousand bucks, right? You feel good after he just ripped you apart. That's a super special skill that not many people have. So he could do that. He could bring people down without making them feel down on themselves. I one I 100% agree with everything you guys just said. Everything. I'm going to throw another scenario at you. Let's hear it. Okay. No, cuz man, dude, Keegan came on. Keegan came on and literally said he was like, "I don't know where John gets this confidence, but he's got it and he be- he believes. <laughs> he believes in himself." Yeah, dude, and it's I'm keeping it on. It is no surprise that John, what I'm saying about Winter is not crazy. I'm not bashing him either. He's a phenomenal player. He's an amazing character. Guy is a straight up leader. Straight up. Right? Here's my thing. You think in our two years with Maurice, Tino, in our two years with Maurice, you don't think Maurice could have used a little bit more pumping up? If we had yeah, pumped sure. him up, if we hadn't had turned our head so many times to Maurice and the two years before, you don't think Maurice could have been a four-time All-American? No, absolutely. We're, we're definitely on the same page. That, that mindset is so powerful. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm just saying, like, I think, I think Maurice came in with a similar mindset as Winder. But because he wasn't, like, the set – like, he wasn't the setter. He wasn't the leader – and, like, he had to deal with some brutal guys from what he told me when he walked in. He didn't get that same opportunity like a Winder did. Like, Winder came in with – he came in ready to win a championship immediately. And those guys completely accepted him. Yeah. Which was genius by those guys because he's a damn good player. Of course you're going to accept that guy. Maurice was the same guy. He, I mean, he was a phenomenal athlete, probably the number one recruit in his class. But for some reason, those guys didn't accept him, and they just pushed him down. And he, I think a guy like Maurice, he could have easily been the next another George Romain. Had yeah. somebody just pumped him up a little bit. Yeah, but that goes back to what Rich was saying with certain coaches are better or like to do things a certain way where Marv is better at knocking those guys down a little bit. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not good at bringing people up because he definitely is, but he's stronger at having those guys with that winter mindset and kind of keeping them level throughout that time. I'm with you. And also, there's only so much a coach could do. It it really comes down to the culture of the team. Absolutely. The culture of the team that Maurice went into as a freshman wasn't great. Huh. And he was still the best player. So it, he, he couldn't do that much with it. Right. I'm just think, saying, like, there's, you know, I'm just throwing out scenarios just to spitball or whatever. I mean, I think last thing here and then kind of we can move on to is that you're looking at, at least with, in men's collegiate volleyball, you're recruiting how many pieces at a full scholarship that typically those guys are in theory, already that lion, right? In terms of at least their personality, they might have one or two tools, a great arm, jump well, or, you know, hey, big block, whatever. But 
you're also, I mean, the whole recruiting process, you guys can, you know, attest to this. It's, hey, let's meet the family. You know, is, is he like mom or dad? Is, you know, hey, let's meet, like, how, how does, how, what's the relationship with, like, you know, siblings? Do they have siblings? The only child? All these different things, personality traits, all that stuff. And then you kind of start to see, like, hey, this person's going to be a great fit. Winder, Winder, Winder was a winner. He, he, he went into any situation and it's, I'm going to win with that confidence, right? Regardless of kind of like Jackson was saying, his abilities, maybe, yeah, you can make the argument, oh, sure, it wasn't as good as so-and-so or it wasn't good as this, but his career speaks, you know, fathoms in terms of what he was able to do. And when you look at it that way, in the recruiting process, Marv saw something special with him. He saw a confident guy that could be a leader. And that was definitely one of the big tools that he, he was taking there. So, you know, you, you do get those athletes that unfortunately don't produce, right? I mean, I've coached community college. Jackson's coached community college as head coaches, um, assistant coaches. We've seen tons of quote unquote D1 caliber athletes that have everything but that mindset that not even to be a star, but just to even be a part of a program. Um, and I, I think it's, it's really unique and interesting when you do see that stuff. And then in retrospect, look back as a coach, what could I have done better? Or as a player, man, I wish I could have done this. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I think, I think Rich that I'm so into researching things for mindset and reading books and, trying to help athletes now that I work with, with their mindset, because I don't think I had a very healthy one when I was a player, you know, and it's the same thing. Like if knock on wood, hopefully this never happens, but if you tear your ACL when you're an athlete in college, there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, I want to be a trainer now, or I want to be a physical therapist, you know? And I think that's why I like coaching so much is to help those athletes with the mental side of the game. I mean, obviously working on volleyball and stuff like that too, but it, what you were saying just kind of brought that up for me. Yeah. It's so hard, especially as a young athlete, you know, that high school to early college age, that mindset, like you don't understand it. You don't, you don't understand how powerful it is. You don't understand how to control it, but it is so meaningful and like I think we could all as adults now say I wish I would have done this in college or I wish I would have done this in high school I think we all could have changed in a certain way but like it's so hard to learn that so to have a coach from a young age that instills that and teaches that super early I think that's a huge thing that it not only in volleyball today but in sports in general is a, a good shift in culture Dude, Maddie and I have talked about that both going your first year into college and then your first year when you go into the USA gym, dude. You have to be so sure of yourself when you walk into those situations in order for you to be outstanding, right? So, like, it, it's trace amount of people that can walk into college and win AVCA Newcomer of the Year, like, the reason they do it is because they, they have such a good sense of their own personal identity, which is so hard to have at 18, right? Like you're so lost in it and like you want to be social. You want 
to appease your girlfriend. You want to appease your coach. You want to appease your friends. You want to do well in school. You want to do all these things. But these guys and these females that can walk into college and just be so focused from the get-go, one, I applaud you because I was definitely not like that. But two, it's no wonder that they have success for a long time because they were able to have that focus probably well like beyond their freshman year and then they could carry it over and like like I said it's it's a trace amount of people that are able to do it it's the Micah Christensen's of the world the Taylor Sanders of the world the Jordan Larson's of the world that can just walk in and they just have an identity they don't have that crisis other young people do they're just so sure like and it's so admirable to look back on now be like man you were that sure of yourself at 18 like that is so cool sorry just real quick like like this whole conversation just brings up to me that's all about how you value or what you value like do you value learning do you value growth or do you value outcomes it's it's the most typical growth mindset discussion that you can have yeah and the people that I don't know if they naturally have it, but over time as their children or young people, they develop a growth mindset without knowing it's a growth mindset. Jordan Larson's a great example. They have that. They're not worried about, Oh, I look like this or I, whatever the outcome is. And we all have times like that, but in the long run, it's about learning. And I think, with young people, like uh, Tino was saying, that's the most valuable thing. You can coach someone, you can teach someone, whether it's your nephew, your player, whatever it is, I don't know. But I think to me, that's the real X factor. So my next question for, I mean, it kind of, we all agree with you, by the way, Jackson. I agree with you. <laughs> of course you do. Rich said, shut up, Jackson. We're on to the next. It kind of goes for all of us. We've all, I mean, Matt, Tino, you guys have literally been with Marv, playing for him. Um, I've worked with him for a year. Um, Jackson, you've played for coaches who got their stuff from him. We, we've all come from all things Marv. So Jackson, uh, Matt, for you two specifically, have you guys ever experienced a coach or a philosophy or, you know, volleyball knowledge that wasn't within the same realm of, you know, the Marv kind of school of volleyball? And hey, what was hey. that experience? <laughs> Matt, go ahead first. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because Tino, Rich, and Jackson, because Jackson, you've heard every story ever yeah. in like the last <laughs> decade about Marv. Um, dude, Marv didn't really teach me a lot about volleyball. I think it, uh, Casey Kreider has an incredibly similar story to me, and I'm sure Winder and store like all the ones that came before us have a similar story marv has talked to me i think like four times in the timeout in my four years and the one that i remember was like i think we just said josh 
you know, it was like, I think we just said Josh or like, yeah, he said that. And then he was like, go get Taylor. And that was like, those are the only two things I ever remember Marv telling me in a match. Like in a true match, in preseason, he would say more, but in a true competition match, that's all he said. But he taught me more about like how to be a man than anything, you know, and like how to be a quality human and treat people right. And, uh, you know, anybody that was close to me, any kind of deep relationship that I had, even if it was actually, even if it wasn't a deep relationship, right? Like he makes you figure out somebody's middle name or, shake hands with everybody that walks in. Uh, literally, the more I talk about what he's taught me, the more I recognize why I have this podcast with Jackson, right? Like it, so much of it is because of what he did for me, just in like a conversational aspect of like who he is and what he brings to the table and like his life, you know, his life experiences and stories through volleyball. And uh, yeah, I like he, yeah, he just, he, he was so fucking consistent, that guy. Like he walked in every day with like pretty much the same gear on, same little briefcase. And he gave me the same knowledge. And if anything, him just being so consistent made me want to be really consistent in my life with who I was, whoever I was. It didn't matter if I was me or if whatever I was trying to be at that moment in time. But I was just like, I just want to be me. And Marv taught me, like, just to be, he was like, just be you. Like, you're if it was volleyball, he's like, you're good at volleyball. If it was outside of the court, he's like, you're a good guy. Just be good. He's like, just, just be yourself. And like, that's going to mean a lot more than anything you can offer in a sport. And to answer your question, Rich, um, it was kind of, have we had experiences outside of that? kind of family tree of Marv. Yeah. And my response is yes. I mean, high school and all that, obviously, but after I transferred from Pierce, um, who was the Pierce program is very much a Marv Dunphy thing. Um, but yeah, after that, I, I played for a coach who, had some similarities for sure. Like honestly, an awesome human being, um, the late great Cole Tallman, he passed away a few years ago. Um, yeah, it, the volleyball stuff was tough for me because it, it wasn't what I was used to and I didn't take it very well, um, as a very immature young man. Um, but I think the similarities is the same thing Matt's talking about. You know, I was an immature young guy. I was 3000 miles away from my home. I'd never lived outside of California and I was in North Carolina and I can go to that guy and just say, Hey, I'm having a tough day. 
what's going on with you, you know? And I think those are the things that I valued in him very much. Um, and I struggled with the volleyball stuff. Like the volleyball stuff was not a part of the Marv Dunphy coaching tree at all. And I struggled with that and we battled each other with that. But what I value now, hopefully as a more mature person, um, were those things like, yo, I, I'm having a tough day. Like, I miss my mom and she's 3000 miles away. And he's like, yeah, come on in, dude. Come on in, just hang out in the office. And those are the things that I wish I valued more when I was in college that I value now. Like I said, hopefully as a more mature person. Definitely. So Matt, for you, obviously we all kind of have the same thoughts and feelings about Marv and his, you know, style of coaching and teaching and how really what he teaches is life lessons, not necessarily volleyball lessons, but for you going and playing in different countries for what the past five years, different country each year, different culture each year, having coaches with tons of different, you know, types of experiences, experiences, how is it going from a, someone like Marv, who's, you know, super consistent, same kind of principles, same kind of teachings all the time to a different coach in a different country in a different culture each year. Yeah, man. Uh, you gotta be really sure of yourself. <laughs> like my first year was, I mean, obviously it was the most difficult because it's your first year away from home. You're like 10,000 miles away from home in Germany. But our coach was like, yeah, I would rather play for an old coach. Like, not even old. Like, old, old is the wrong word. An experienced coach because you know what you're going to get. Right? So, like, my coach in Czech was, he was just a yeller. Just a yeller, you know? And, like, he would say the most ridiculous stuff. One day, dude, one day, that we lost the night before. And he goes, he goes, I don't know about you guys, but we're Czechs. We're not Brazilians, not Polish. You can't just go drink beers before match. If you want to have sex with your girlfriend, do that. We're Czechs. You can't do that. We need to be focused on volleyball. And dude, I was dying. And he's like, I don't know about Americans. And I was like, bring me into this dude <laughs> i was dying you know but i was like that's just his like way of motivating we also used to do warm-ups with like a chair oh dude it was a trip you know we ended up getting second in the league but he was consistent so if there's anything in anything like in finland my coach never talked and i love i've I loved my coach in finland never talked you would have to go and pick his brain if you wanted any kind of information. But he was, he never talked every day. You know what I mean? And so it's just tough when you have coaches. Every, like every coach I've had has been a great guy. They've all been really good dudes. Un, that's undoubtedly. But it's just like you really see who people are after losses is like what I believe. 
and I'm sure like most people believe that you see personality when you're losing or like post loss because you stress is I mean stress is a real thing in professional volleyball right so like if you're losing and a guy never yells in practice and all of a sudden he starts yelling you're like you're stressed something's wrong right and so like now as a you know, it's my sixth year playing. I'm like, I can see that when I was 21, I didn't know any of that stuff was happening. Right. But like, if you yell at me in practice, that's fine. And if you yell at me in a game, that's fine. Right. Cause that's in cahoots with one another. But if you're two different people, then we have a problem because now I don't know what the hell I'm going to get from you. So then how am I supposed to be your acting assistant on the court? If I don't know what you're going to give me. Right, so maybe that's because of Marv, you know, because he was so consistent. But uh, I'm sure Dave Hunt would tell you the same thing. Like he had days, I think he said it on the podcast too, where he's like, I had days, you know, where I would just go crazy, you know, like I want to work everybody. And then some days where he was like a little bit more calm. And uh, for sure now, like he's probably steady Eddie with time, but steady Eddie, even if you're the wrong steady Eddie, I would rather have you be steady. Way rather have steady. You could be a total moron, say the wrong thing every single time, but at least I know you're going to say the wrong thing every time. I think that's just like a key to leadership. Like when you think of a leader and like obviously a coach, you're in the top leadership position, no matter Mm -hmm. what, like you always want your leaders to be consistent. Yes. If your leader's freaking out one day, not the next, like you don't want to be able to read every little thing that's going on. You want to, you want them to be consistent. You want them to at least seem like they're under control, whether that's like you said, whether they're yelling, but to some people being under control is yelling all the time. Yeah. And that's it, dude. And I will say this wholeheartedly. That has been a knock on me professionally as well is like, I have, And it's something that I think about and I've like uh, worked on in the past, like two, three years. Tina, you've probably seen this when I was with you at Pep. There were days where I'd just be so focused and just go off. And then there were other days where I'd just walk in and be like, so how's everybody doing today? You know, we're just hanging out. And it bothers people because they don't know what the hell they're going to get from you on what day. They're like, all right, man, if you want to be relaxed, be relaxed. But if you want to work hard, then you got to like work hard every day. You know? So yeah, I completely agree with you. As like a leader, you, you got to be consistent. You have to. Let's uh, <clears throat> switch gears here. A little topical COVID conversation. So Matt, you had mentioned to us before that you had a match last night. No, Patrick, bro. Today. Angus. Today, you season-wise has been postponed until when? For me? Yeah. Uh, The NCAA just came out with some parameters of a January 22nd start date. Um, But conferences will have meetings probably this week about what their conference is going to do. So let's, let's phrase it this way. So Matt 
what kind of like as an athlete playing in these types of times what is that like what is that is there anything frustrating crazy whatever jackson for you as a coach you know what's what's tough what's frustrating that affecting recruiting etc uh we can start with you matt if you want okay start with me no problem yeah um dude honestly i don't even know it exists couldn't even tell you because the only thing I do is I go to my apartment and I go to the gym and then I go where we lift, right? Because all of our meals are provided to us except for breakfast. So the only thing I have to do is go to the store like once a week to buy bread and eggs. Um, and then aside, dude, I literally like, you forget too when you're competing, right? Like you, what, there's no pandemic going on when you're like trying to win a game and like keep the boys together. Like you're wrangling everybody, you're wrangling the troops. And if you, and at that point you're like, if I get sick, I get sick, man. But like, we got to win this game, you know? So I think like the most important thing for us is, uh, yeah, obviously we want to be safe, but like then just don't do anything extra that you don't need to do. You don't, if you do not need to go to the store, do not go to the store, right? And like, yeah, so it's just like, and if you do, wear your mask. Just don't be an idiot. Don't screw this up for everybody because we're all in this together. And it's already happened. Like our, mas our masseuse got COVID two days, two days, no, the day before we were supposed to leave to Ankara to play our pool play for our cup matches. So we're not, I'm not positive. I don't know, we, I am not positive if we have forfeited those matches or if they're just postponed. But regardless, I was like, dude, just come on, man. Like control what you can control. Like this is not rocket science here. So uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, just do your due diligence, be smart. Um, other than that, man, like you just hope for the best that everybody else on every team's doing it too. Right. And it's like, you guys should want to care about your own health just as much as I do if you want to play the sport. So maybe I put too much confidence in my opponents, you know, talking through the net, but I, I mean, it's all right. It's okay. I think it's going to be, a, it's a lot harder for Jackson right now than it is for me. So to kind of piggyback off that real quick before we get to you, Jackson, I was just on a conference call with our assistant general manager, right? And he was talking about how hard it is on the players right now because, you know, in the soccer world, most of our guys are from South America. We have a few from Africa, these, yeah. these kids that are in different cultures. And a lot of them are young, you know, that 18 to 24, 25 range, right? So they're living in a foreign country. They're in a different culture. And like you said, you know, you get your routines, you wake up, you, you go to lift, you go home, you eat lunch, you go to practice or you go to a game. And like, yeah, you get that routine, but it gets lonely when you're in a different country. And then on top of that, you know, there's, especially here in California, there's special precautions so the team if they have a game they can't go the night before they fly out in the morning if it's a fly or they you know take a bus in the morning 
they stop at a hotel. They can't watch film because they can't be in that big of a group in a hotel. They, you know, go to the stadium. They get ready for an hour, hour and a half before the game. They play. They shower. They get on the bus or plane and go home. So, like, obviously those days are super hard on the athletes. So, is it similar for you or is it a little bit um, more relaxed as far as, you know, the routines that you have to go through? pre-match or you know on a practice day no dude lafc let me tell you morons here's why if you're gonna play in a match no if you're gonna play on a match and you're gonna have a bunch of people on a bench together somebody's gonna get it we gotta go shower together the only time you're not gonna have a big group of people is during video okay that's the hotel rule that's not our rule the league is the league has their mandated rules, for, so things are very specific. The players get tested every day. They this, go through all these I, things, but it's the routine that they don't have control over. Yeah, for sure. Then you have to adapt, right? Like, that's your whole job as a professional athlete. Like, I and I completely understand that, like, it is an incredibly tough year. I think, like, it, it's not fun to be locked up in a room for like nine hours on your off day or whatever, it's, it blows. But that's your job, dude. Like that's what you're getting paid to do. So you like, if that's, there's a lot of people that are not getting paid to stay home right now. And like, you're getting paid to stay home and like go to practice and go to live. So like, just when you go, like you just have to like really enjoy it. And you do, I tell you, you get out of your apartment and you go to practice. It's amazing, you know. But yeah, I did. I I really think because it's already a problem in Turkey. It's a huge problem in France right now um, with these corona cases. But honestly, if you're gonna make a soccer season work, you gotta go all bus. You can't travel by plane. Like plane, just plane's a thing that screws you. You can't go by plane. You got to go by, but like if you're going to do it, you got to do it right and you got to control every factor of it. Right. So, like everybody that gets on that bus, that bus is sanitized. Like you know exactly what's happening on that bus. And I think the NBA nailed it, man. Like the bubble is where it's at. For real, like if you're gonna do it, like they haven't had one, they have not had one coronavirus case yet. That's amazing. And they've had guys sneak out and they still don't have coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the MLS did that, they did the bubble and then they came back and they're only doing you know local market, so it's like Western Conference only and only within a certain radius. and. Tell me Everything's controlled. The, the flights are charter us. only. Okay, that's cool. So Sorry. it's as controlled as it could be, but as an athlete in a different place, uh-huh. everything is so much different than normal. Yeah, yeah. I think for like people like you should ask Maddie this question because she likes being social and going out and like getting a nice glass of wine or whatever. But like, yeah, I I'm a recluse when I get abroad. Because 
your whole life is in like a gym, right? And you spend like six hours there. So the only thing I want to do is go, like, just go home. Like, just let me go home. You know, and I think for people that aren't nearly as introverted as I am and are a little bit more extroverted, I can imagine this would be an incredibly tough time to be in a foreign situation, like literally locked up abroad, you know, but I really like, dude, I really don't mind it. And I actually think it might help my volleyball that I can just like, I just get to, I just get to focus on just volley and like my friends. That's it. It's the only thing I think about is my relationships and volleyball, which is like more than enough for me. Is it enough of you guys that I have to worry about, you know? And that's good for me. You are kind of weird like that. I'm a little weird now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I care about my friends. With me. Care about your friends. Uh, Jackson, what about you? What about your take? Uh, yeah, so on your question, Rich, um, it's as a, as a coach, it's been very difficult for me. Um, and I think it's exactly what Tino was alluding to with worrying about the athletes and how they are. And that's, to me, that's what 90% of my job <laughs> is making sure the athletes are okay and their daily lives are good and things like that. So it's been difficult not to be able to see them. And unlike uh, Matt, volleyball has been taken away from us you know, and it sucks for me. Like, yeah, I can't give feedback and coach and all that, but for our athletes, especially as young people, 18 to 22 year olds, that's all, that's not all they know, but that's a big part of their lives. That's a big part of their identities. Um, and I think our team is had some positive reinforcement with figuring out who they are as people. Um, but that doesn't mean it has been tough, you know? Um, so yeah, me as a coach, uh, recruiting, you, you mentioned recruiting. Recruiting has been frustrating because we can only have phone calls and I, I feel for the class of 2021 and 2022 um, with so much unknown as far as people getting eligibility back and just all, Every, every school in the country right now has a very fluid recruiting scheme. Um, yeah, I've, I've been on recruiting calls every week, which is nice. I like getting to know our recruits. But at the end of the day, we're volleyball coaches, and it's really weird not to watch them play volleyball. Um, yeah, and then just as a coach – I can't wait to get back in the gym. And for us, it's in three weeks, and I cannot stink and wait for it. It's going to be awesome. You brought up a, actually a, a unique point that I didn't even think about was uh, eligibility for, for those you know kids coming in or that first year freshman, et cetera, um, and kind of taking that and running with it in terms of the coaching staff and your recruiting in terms of, you know, I don't want to say budget, but basically what you have for, you know, your scholarships. 
Um, you know, if, if players were to get that year back, that shifts the entire, you know, recruiting structure. Like, have you guys even looked at that or? Oh, we, we talk about it often. <laughs> I think, I think every, every program is talking about that. You know, we have a few seniors this year and a couple are thinking about coming back and a couple are like, no, I have grad school to look forward to and things like that. So every situation is unique, but the thing about recruiting right now and with your seniors is we let's say rich, you've been my outside for four years. You were on a full ride scholarship next year. I might not have a scholarship for you, but you're welcome to come and be on the team. So those, those are the situations that I think every program is working on right now is okay. Who's coming back? How does that affect the incoming class? Where is that not only the money going to, but what does that do on the depth chart? Yeah, definitely. Jackson, I have a question for you and this could be on or off the podcast. This is more of a question for me than for everyone else. It's something I'm just curious about. How I'm, I'm, trying to figure out how I want to phrase this obviously you enjoy coaching right you you enjoy the interaction with the athletes you enjoy the interaction with the other coaches and kind of the whole process but also coaching isn't like an easy job right there's a it's very time consuming and especially in volleyball like assistant coaching there's not a ton of money in it so it's like how worth it is it to get into coaching when you know you're not going to be making, you know, tons of money, you're going to be putting in a ton of hours. Yeah. You're going to be enjoying what you're doing, but like how worth it is it? Would you say? Oh dude, we're getting another wave into coaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's definitely worth it. You know, that's me personally. Um, I'm never going to be a rich man coaching. That's just part of the gig. Um, but what that reminds me of, Tino, is so my dad is a, a chef and he's worked his ass off in the restaurant industry for 40 years, 45 years. And some, sometimes he loves it and sometimes he doesn't. You know, it's, it's a really stressful job for him. And I can remember times where he just came home exhausted and not happy. And I don't know when I made that decision, but I remember as maybe when I was in college, but I just wanted to come home and be exhausted, but I wanted to be happy why I was exhausted. Um, and that's kind of it for me. You know, it, it is a tough job. And where I'm at now is a much better place than I was a few years ago when I had four different coaching jobs, uh, just trying to make ends meet, which isn't unique in any 
volleyball coach's career. But I would say it's worth it if you know what you're getting out of it. Like, I enjoy going to work. And the reason I took my job where I'm at now at the University of Nevada is because I felt like I was going to enjoy going to work for my head coach, Lee Nelson, our other assistant coach, Corinne Wild. I enjoy being around them. And then our athletes, I enjoy being around them. And to Rich's point, that's the toughest part right now is not being around them. And yeah, if, if you don't love it, I've, I've, I always say this, like, if you don't love this thing, it's not for you. Like go do something you like. If you're going to put your energy towards something, do it towards something you like, even if that's just making money, like go do that. But I always tell people being a volleyball coach beats having a real job. It's definitely fair. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tito, did you have any other questions? That's pretty much all I had. Are we good here? I think we're good here. I think we're good here. I think we're good here. All right. Well, Rich and Tino, thanks for coming on the on the episode. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for coming on our podcast. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having us. We'll uh, we'll be putting out some more podcasts. I think next week.